to express love to one another. Amen? I mean, Jesus taught us to love, and if there's one day that reminds us of expressing love to a special person in your life, then uh, I would encourage you to do that, but to do that every day, because God is love, and he encourages us to love. The new commandment Jesus gave us is to love one another as I have what? Loved you. Exactly. That's a powerful example. The standard is very high, and so we want to be a church that always loves, like Jesus loves. Let's pray together as we open up the Word of God this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be in relationship with you. God, I thank you for the word that you've given to us. I thank you for the history of redemption, your plan to save us. And and God, we're overwhelmed by your desire to draw us near to yourself. You're pursuing us all the time. And Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, that our hearts will be ready to receive it, Lord. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in a series entitled, The Ordinary Superheroes of the Old Testament. And today I want to talk about this, the danger of complacency, talking about Deborah and Gideon and the period of the judges. Now, we started in the very beginning by talking about Adam and Eve and um, the, the, the way God created them and put them in the garden. Then we talked about Cain and Abel. I want to review this so that you have the history of God's redemption. Then Noah... Uh, was part of our series, then the Tower of Babel, then Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then we talked about Joseph, then we spoke about Moses, and then Joshua and Caleb spying out the land, Rahab and Joshua conquering the city of Jericho in a miraculous way. And today, I want to talk about this, Deborah and Gideon, and the period of the judges. As you know, when they conquered, when Joshua conquered Jericho, They then uh, went from there and conquered the entire land. Yes, they had to defeat an AI because there was sin in the camp. There was one man that disobeyed God, and as a result of that, they were defeated at the city of AI. But from there, over the next seven years, Joshua would have victory after victory. They crossed the Red Sea. They defeated the city of Jericho. Then Joshua took his forces and moved to the south and conquered the southern region of the promised land, then moved back towards the north and conquered the northern regions of the promised land. That took about seven years for that to happen as Joshua and the forces of Israel conquer the promised land. But then after Joshua dies, we moved into a period called the period of the judges, which lasts about 400 years. And I'm going to talk about that. What happens in this period called the period of the judges? I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, verses 11. And we're going to look at that passage. I'm not sure if that page number is right, but Judges 2, 11. What's the page number? 201, thank you. Page 201 in your chair Bibles. Says this, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And serve the Baals. That's a generic form for the idols that were in the land. And they abandoned the Lord. Wow, when you read that, you think, how could they do that? After all the miracles that God had bestowed upon Israel, the miracle at Jericho, victory after victory, conquering the promised land as God had promised that they would. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt, They went after, and here's the sad part, other gods 
from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. The, the sad state of affairs here is this. No sooner had they conquered the land than they began to fall into a period of complacency. The bottom line is this. Soon after the Israelites conquered the land, they fell into a cycle of complacency, sin, and failure. God calls us to reject complacency and live passionate lives for him. I, I happened to sneak into the women's Bible study this past Tuesday, and there was a new believer who had come to the Bible study. She said, no, I'm a new believer. This is a relatively new study for me. And uh, there was a song that was sung at the women's Bible study. And I saw this new believing woman just weep in tears, putting the, the tissue to her eyes. Just I could tell it was just the joy of being here with other ladies that love the Lord. And when, when you think about that, I've met people like that who are new believers, who have the excitement of the Lord. But then something happens. Maybe it's that they get around believers like me and you, amen? That's what happens. They get to this lukewarm situation. And we realize, have we lost our first love? Have we fallen into a cycle of complacency in our lives? Forgetting the passion and the joy that we had when we first came to Christ. See, the period of the judges is a sad period of four hundred years of complacency, of failure, of sin, of rebellion against God, of serving false idols. And the challenge for us is to look at this period and say, I'm not going to let this happen to me. I'm not going to let my faith be taken for granted in my life. I want to live it with a passion. That's what Jesus told us to do. You know, we say that here at Riverview, we have a passion for loving God and loving others. comes from the two great commandments, right? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's a passion about that statement. There's a passion about that. To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And can you say that? Say, you know, I'm endeavoring every day to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or do you stumble over those words and have to hesitate for a minute and say, that really isn't me? But that's the greatest commandment of the Word of God, to live it with a passion. And God had done so much for the people of Israel, yet they still fell into complacency. Here's the first thing I want you to remember. The period of the judges is all about this, realizing the danger of slipping into complacency. Self, I, I used another word because I didn't want to overuse the word of complacency. Self-sufficiency. We really don't need this God. We can do other things. We really don't need to follow this God like he tells us to. We are self-sufficient. We won this wonderful victory. But the sad state of affairs is this. They did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. They went after other gods. They pursued these other gods. You know, there's a summary statement in the book of Judges about this 400-year period. It comes later in the book, but it's actually given twice in the book of Judges. As God, in his words, summarizes what it was like during this 400-year period. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. The last verse of this book of Judges is the same exact verse. Everyone did 
what was right in his own eyes. They weren't seeking to do what was right in God's eyes. And it's a challenge for me and a challenge for you and a challenge for this church every day that we not lose our passion. When we think about the amazing miracles and awesome miracles that God did for the Israelites, yet they fell into this cycle of complacency and self-sufficiency. But think about our own lives, how we can fall into that cycle as well. Begin to take our walk with God for granted. Not, not share Christ or live for Christ with the passion that we should. But we fall into this cycle of complacency. See, this is a very depressing summary of the book. Depressing but not surprising. No sooner is Israel settling in the land that they're turning from God. The judges, these, there were 12 of them in the book of Judges. They came to bring the people back to the heart of God. But that was their job, to bring the people back to God. But they kept falling back into sin and complacency. The theme of the entire book is Israel does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. That's really the theme of the book. They did what was right in their own eyes. See, the Lord urges us to do what is right in God's eyes, but they instead did what was right in their own eyes. And today, I want to challenge us to be people who take the Word of God seriously, that we really are intentional about living out our faith, that we know that even though you may not realize it, people are watching you. They're watching what you do. They probably know of your faith. They maybe know that you attend church every Sunday, and it's wonderful that you do. But there's a greater task that we have, and that is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love him with a passion, and to love one another, to have a passion for loving one another. See, they conquered the land. They won a wonderful victory, conquering this promised land. They had success. They were doing well. And that can be said of this American culture, amen? In essence, this is a very successful culture compared to other countries around the world. We're doing well. But this same God that blessed America, that has blessed this country, we often forget. And we forget the principles that this country was founded on. Even to the point where, as I'm sure you were saddened like I was, when in the state of New York, legislators cheered like they won the lottery when they passed a law to kill pre-born infants up through nine months, in essence committing a fantasy. Even after the baby is born alive, it can be killed. Forgetting the principles of the Word of God. And believers were not even shaken by that. See, we fall into this period of contentment in our lives. We're believers, we're fine. And then fall into complacency and then often into compromise and then into corruption. The cycle that appears in the book of Judges over 400 years appears seven times. And this cycle is this. They fall into sin, the nation of Israel. They serve other gods. They do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. As a result of that, God judges them. They're placed into servitude, serving, for example, the Philistines or the Midianites or the Hivites. Serving other groups around them, they fall into defeat. They finally cry out to the Lord in supplication, God, save us. And God raises up a judge who brings salvation to the people. But then after a period of silence, they fall back into sin again. This period 
of 400 years has this ugly cycle that occurs seven times throughout the book. Seven times they fall into this sin and are conquered by other people until a judge comes along and saves them. One of the judges is a woman by the name of Deborah. She becomes a great leader in the nation of Israel. Uh, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. She's a judge. She's judging in the nation of Israel. A judge was a person that decided affairs between people, but also was a leader in the nation of Israel, and many of them led Israel to a time of freedom. But Deborah, I want want to say this, prioritize the need to put your faith and calling into action. Look what happens. Deborah, verse 6 of chapter 4 in Judges. Deborah sent and summoned Barak, the sons of Ibanoam from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord... The God of Israel commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you in the river Kishon and the chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. So Barak was told by the Lord, go out, I'm going to give you victory over these forces. Now, Cicero was a a powerful commander. He had 900 chariots. A chariot in those days was like having a tank in these days. You know, I just saw a a little news report about one place left in America where they build tanks. Anybody know where that is? In in Lima, Indiana is where they, or Lima, I guess is pronounced, Indiana. They still build tanks there. One place left. But Sisera had 900 chariots. His forces were powerful. The people of Israel were intimidated. But God had told Barak, I'll give you victory. You just need to go out. And Deborah confronts Barak and says, hasn't God told you to do this? This is what he says. Barak said, verse 8, I will go, uh, I, I will go out. I will go out. If you will go with me, he says to Deborah. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. See, Deborah was called to action. She was a woman who challenged Barak to lead the forces of Israel against Sisera. And Barak says, if you, hey, Deborah, I'll go if you go. If you're telling me this is the word of God, I'll go if you go. Jump down to verse 12. When Sisera was told that Barak for the... The son of Ibanoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. Sisera called out his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera. What you have to love about Deborah is she takes the word of God at his word. She follows up and leads this army into battle. And they rout Sisera and his 900 chariots and all of his army by the power of God. And I think what this story reminds me of is this. Put your faith into action. Back up your words with your life. Follow up what the word of God has said. See, uh, this is what a life is like when you fall into prideful self-sufficiency. You lose focus on the word of God. You, You don't need the Lord anymore. You're successful. 
You have a nice house. You have a nice place. God's provided for you. You lose your focus, and often people who are successful lose their focus on their relationship with God. Those people tend to drift away. We've all experienced moments like that. I certainly have. I get distracted and drift away from what God has called me to do. Prioritizing self. And, and instead of being passionate about the work of the Lord, you end up competing with others and comparing yourself to others. And as long as you have a little bit more than your neighbors, then you're happy. But the opposite, I believe, of a prideful, self-sufficient life is a humble, active, God-dependent life. It's active, it's engaged, it's serving the Lord with a passionate heart, but it's God-dependent. Lord, every moment of every day, I'll depend on you. Like Paul learned when he prayed that the thorn of his flesh would be removed. He prayed it three times, probably three seasons of prayer. God, take this thorn of flesh away from me. But God didn't. Why? So that Paul would rely on God and realize that in his weakness, he's strong because he relies on God. A God-dependent life. And as a church, uh, we have to learn to be God-dependent in everything we do. When we come to worship, we have to realize that we come with hearts that are focused on God, lifting him up. And this energizes us to live lives that are worshipful lives, that go out into a world that needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Melody Thompson's a missionary. We have 24 of them. Missions would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous to do if every way that uh, people thought of to get to God was valid and would get them there ultimately, if sincerity was the only judge by which a religious faith was valid or not, that would be ridiculous to send missionaries out into the world then. But we realize that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. To have that passion. And a person who's humbly active, God-dependent, is a person who deepens his or her relationship with God. We, we draw near to God each and every day. You can do that when you're driving your car, just in your heart. Draw near to God. Include him in your thoughts throughout the day. Draw near to him. You prioritize others, and in so doing, you prioritize Christ. Because you know this, that in serving others, you serve Christ. What you do for others, you do for Jesus. So the way he served us was by going to the cross. He calls us to live lives, like it says in Romans chapter 12, lives of Worship before him, laying our lives on the altar, living sacrifices for God that serve others. And we don't see our needs as being the most important, like Philippians 2 says. We see the needs of others as being more important than our own. When we do that, we honor Jesus and the passionate change he has made in our lives. And then we serve others in our community, in our body of believers here, the body of Christ in action. That's what a humble, active, God-dependent life is all about. Living for others. Jesus said, when you lose your life, then you'll find it. When you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. See, Barak and 10,000 men wouldn't go into battle unless Deborah would go with them. And she did. She put her faith into action. 
They came down from Mount Tabor and defeated Sisera and his 900 chariots of iron. She goes and leads them in a defeat of Sisera and his 900 chariots. She put her faith into action. You know, as Riverview Church, we're called to do the same. We're called to put our faith into action. To be a community that loves God and loves one another. Thank you for, you know, I get the privilege, like I've said many times, to call new people that come to the church and to hear again and again, hey, your church is a friendly church. We sense the love in this place. And not ever to fall into complacency, but to keep going because we love Jesus and we want this community to be a radically different community than what the world finds outside these four walls. That we are here serving Jesus and it's real. So Deborah put her faith into action. She went when the general and the armies were afraid to go. 10,000 were afraid to go. But Deborah put her faith into action. There's another judge I want to highlight. His name is Gideon. To have the courage to take God at his word. Let's look at what happens in Gideon's life. Turn to Gideon uh, passage, which is in Judges chapter 6, verse 36. Judges 6, 36. God had called Gideon to free the Israelites from the Midianites. Now, even before this passage, earlier in chapter 6, he meets the angel of the Lord, which I believe is a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, Gideon is hiding. He's preparing the wheat, and he's hiding so the Midianites don't take his wheat from him. And the angel of the Lord greets Gideon and says, Oh, greetings, man of valor. I like J. Vernon McGee. I heard him on the radio a little while ago. He said that God has a sense of humor by calling this man who is hiding while he's preparing his wheat so the Midianites don't take it as a man of valor. But I believe what God was looking at in Gideon may have been a sense of humor, but also what Gideon could become if he would have the courage to take God at his word. Well, later in the chapter, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, that should be enough, right? If you're going to save Israel, God, like you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground around it, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl filled with water. See, Gideon needed a sign. Hey, God, you've told me you're going to use me to free the Israelites. But if this is really true, I, I need a sign. I'm going to put a fleece on the ground. I, I want the fleece to be wet, but the ground all around it to be dry. Sure enough, the next morning when he woke up, he took the fleece and he wrung it out. A bowl full of water came out of the fleece. He may have thought, well, maybe, it, maybe something happened last night. Maybe a big dog came by and just happened to, you know, right on the fleece. Who knows? God, this isn't enough for me. I want you to do just the opposite. Look what he says in Judges chapter 6. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let not you speak, let me speak just once more. Please let me test just one more with this fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on the ground around it let there be dew. 
And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground there was dew. See, we, we tell this story a lot, Gideon's fleece, but it really is a, is a story of a lack of faith. It's a story of not taking God at his word. God had already told Gideon, I'm going to give you the victory, Gideon. You go out and fight and remove these people who are oppressing the Israelites. But it wasn't enough. He needed a sign. I'm reminded of what Jesus said when the scribes and Pharisees came to him. The Bible says this in Matthew 12. That some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he went on to explain how the prophet Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and the Son of Man will be three nights and three days in the heart of the earth. That's the sign. That's the sign that will be given. That's the sign that's been given to us. And you know, it saddens me when people live their lives always demanding a sign from God. But God, prove yourself one more time to me. Give me a miraculous sign. Jesus said here, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it. You know, if you remember the story of Thomas, doubting Thomas... After Jesus rose from the dead, Thomas said, unless I put my finger in the nail prints of his hands and put my hand in the wound on his side, I will never believe. Jesus appears to him and said this. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. By the way, a great verse for the deity of Christ. He says, my Lord and my God. Jesus didn't push back. He didn't say, Thomas, wait, you're overreacting. I'm not God. But he receives Thomas' worship because he was God in the flesh. He was worthy to take our sins upon himself. But then Jesus follows up this amazing offer that he gives to Thomas. Put your finger, Thomas, if that's what you need, put your finger in the nail prints of my hand. Then he says this to Thomas. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Blessed are those who've not seen and yet believed. And the question for us today is, will we take God at his word? Will we have the courage to take God at his word? To not fall into complacency, but to live our Christian lives, me included, every day with a passion for Jesus. Putting him first in everything that we do. See, we are those people who've not seen and yet believed. But now God calls us to live lives of passionate faith, to not fall into complacency, but to take God at his word. There's a song that I used to sing when I was younger, or at least I heard it quite a bit, and I sung it too a few times. You probably know it. God said it. I believe it. What's the next next phrase? Exactly, that settles it. 
I wish I could say to Gideon as I wish I could say to me every day of my life. God said it, Gideon. You don't need a sign. Take God at his word. Have the courage to take God at his word and do it with a passion. There's a story told about the great naturalist Audubon. And one of the accounts of Audubon's life, as you know, Audubon went around the world and greatly increased our knowledge of animals, especially birds. And one account goes like this. Audubon counted his physical comforts as nothing compared with success in his work. He would rise at midnight, night after night, go out into the swamps to study the habits of certain nighthawks. He would crouch motionless for hours in the dark in the fog. If after weeks of waiting he secured one additional fact about a single bird, he felt justified. During one summer, he went day after day to the bayous near New Orleans to observe a shy waterfowl. He would have to stand, listen to this, he would have to stand almost to his neck in nearly stagnant water, scarcely breathing, while countless poisonous moccasin snakes swarmed past his face, and alligators passed and repassed his silent watch. It was not pleasant, Audubon said. <laughs> Understatement of the year, right? It was not pleasant, he said, as his face flowed with enthusiasm. But what of that, Audubon said? I have the picture of the bird. Wow. Talk about passion for getting pictures of birds. If someone can have passion like that for getting pictures of birds... How much more should we have a passion in our lives about the God that created everything that we see around us, about the God that loved us all the way to the cross, about the God that said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, about the God that says he has gone to prepare a place for you and he will come again and take you to himself. That where he is, you may be there also. And that will be like that for eternity, a place beyond what we can imagine or think. Church, we have an awesome task. I look at this period of judges and my heart sinks because they took God for granted. They became complacent. They didn't fire up their walk with God. And here's the promise of God. I love this passage in 2 Chronicles 16.9. For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. By the way, when you see the word Lord in all capitals in your text, anybody know what that means? Yeah, that, that means that's the word Yahweh there. If it's all in capitals, it's the word Yahweh. It's a reminder to the Israelites and to us, the same God that freed the Jews out of slavery, that same God. His eyes roam around the earth. The, one version goes, to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong to those whose hearts are wholly devoted to him. Church, that's our task. That we would be the church that would believe God, trust him at his word, take him at his word, and not fall into this cycle that the judges fell into. May that be our uh, task here at Riverview. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer this morning.